Welcome to Real Talk 101, uh, VoxWave.com. The hotline here is 240-719-2560. Now, normally, you would have one of my co-hosts here. You would have Brad Tremell here, who is currently in Paris. We're going to pray for his traveling mercies. Uh, we would have my co-host, Orlando Boyd, who is out in the streets uh, keeping us safe because the weather is terrible. Uh, we got about six, seven, eight inches, and it's just really bad. It's just a miracle that we're here today. Uh, so you got number three on the depth chart is myself, Darian Claxon. So it's going to be me, you, and the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, moving through us. I just found out about an hour ago I was going to be doing this by myself. But this is a testament to uh, the power of God such that I can be a testimony that what you hear coming from me is not going to be coming from me. I can't take any credit for it. i got to give all praise to the Most High. So let's start off with a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who continues to guide us into all truth, who continues to give us purpose, who continues to give us wisdom and understanding, who continues to be that still small voice telling us this is the way walk ye in it. And I'm asking that you would uh, anoint our time together, Father God, any person who was moved to tune in, Lord God, that you would be with them, that they would be, have a blessing, a, a, a spiritual awakening even now. I pray for that person who's struggling with addiction, who's struggling with unbelief, that you would break those chains of addictions and by your grace, they can, too, uh, see the freedom that comes from a relationship with you. So I ask that you will bless us, that you be with us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So a lot of times, P 
people will say, hey, why are you a Christian? And many of you watching this or listening to this, either you're struggling with yourself or you have friends or family who don't think this thing makes any sense. Um, You know, it's not an investment that's giving you returns. And if you talk to any sales professional, they would tell you that if somebody complains about the price of something you're trying to sell them, let's say you're trying to sell somebody a vacuum cleaner. If you are complaining about the price saying it's too high, it's because you don't see the value. You don't appreciate the value of that versus if you did. So if you have had bad vacuum cleaners, not name brand, knockoff vacuum cleaners, and you know how much more work is required, doesn't matter what the price tag is. If you see the value, like, boom, sign me up. Well, the same thing goes with Christianity. So you have that person who's out in the streets. They are living day by day. You see what I'm saying? They're doing whatever it takes to survive. They're slanging them rocks. They're getting at work. They're doing uh, what is necessary to put what they think is necessary to put food on the table for themselves and for their family. And so you're telling them about this whole Christianity thing like, yo, man, I don't see any value in that. And so you're like, well, how do I witness to that person or how do I myself get over that block? And instead of answering that question directly, I want to take it to another level. And the question that I want us to look at is, if there were no heaven and no hell, would you still be a Christian? Because most people, whether inside the church now or outside the church, that's going to encompass most of the reasons why they are doing what they're doing. You know, so if there is a hell, then I'm afraid of fire and brimstone. I'm afraid of God striking me down. I'm afraid of burning forever and ever, which, by the way, the Bible does not teach. We don't have time to get into that today. But I'm serving God out of a fear. You see what I'm saying? I'm going up to church. I don't like being there. I don't like having to read this Bible. It's putting me to sleep. But I'm afraid of punishment in the afterlife. So I'm going to do whatever it takes just to keep God happy. Well, the Bible already tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. So if your impetus for serving God is fear, you you, you miss the boat completely. So if there's no hell, we should still be a Christian. We still be serving God. But what about the other side? If there were no heaven, would you still be a Christian? And that wipes out a whole bunch of people right there and then because a lot of people, again, who may call themselves Christians or even those who are agnostics or those who are cynics would say the reason that people will go to church and subject themselves to so-called legalism and dealing with do's and don'ts is because of a reward in heaven. You know, after I die, there's a hope that I will live forever and ever on walking the streets of gold. John 14 talks about in my father's house are many mansions. I want me a mansion. I want to see those walls of Jasper. I want to see the streets just glittered with all of these precious stones. You know what I'm saying? So if that is your reason for being a Christian, you've also missed the boat completely. And again, how are you going to sell that to somebody? Whether one of your friends or family or yourself, if Your life is a living hell. You see what I'm saying? So you're trying to sell me on the hope that if I make it through this life at some point down the future, me investing time and reading the word and and, and praying and abstaining from certain things and walking the walk, listening to the Holy Spirit. You're telling me that I have to hope. Put this blind faith in some point in the future where I will receive a reward. If your reason for being a Christian is because you want to go to heaven. And experience all those things you're missing completely. My reason for going to heaven, by the way, should be because I want to spend time with my Lord and Savior. It's a relationship. But even more than that, if there were no heaven, I should still be a Christian. Why? Because the investment I make in being a Christian should have value in this life today. And if it doesn't, you can't sell me on it. You see what I'm saying? Everything that, that, that this life, this world is bringing me is putting in my path is going to have more precedent than some hope for a future with God forever and ever. So we're going to look at the Christian life and why it's important, why it's valuable for us today. Why me going through this walk day by day gives me joy and pleasure and satisfaction and peace today. Now, those of you that know me know that I have a lot of friends who are atheists. So I spent a lot of time witnessing to atheists, debating with atheists, maybe a little bit more than I should. And what the atheists would say, well, what happens if you were to die and there is no heaven? 
And you didn't wasted all this time, you know what I'm saying, living in a box, putting yourself under submission, thank you, uh, 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 dealing with do's and don'ts, and it was all for not, you might as well went out there carousing and drinking and smoking and doing your thing, right? And I would liken that to the person who is very passionate about their health. You know, so you have these individuals who will wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go running and go to the gym. They don't eat certain types of food. They wash their carbs. They only drink water. They don't do carbonated beverages. They don't do fatty foods. They don't eat processed sugars. And, and, and someone can make a similar statement of cynicism to them and say, well, what happens if you were to go out and get hit by a bus tomorrow? What was the point of that burden you put yourself under all those years, right? And I guarantee you the healthy person would say, Psh, I'm having satisfaction now living this life. So when you see me abstaining from eating donuts and hot dogs and stuffing my face with these fast food items, it's not because it is a burden or, 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 or something negative for me. This has given me pleasure. This has given me joy now, today. Now, at first it was tough. Any person who has ever tried to get their lives together from a physical standpoint and get past the notion that I need to have fried foods to feel happy. I want this fast food to feel satisfied. You know, I want to eat sugar, all those things. It's difficult at first. It's tough getting into a regiment of going to the gym five days a week, getting up running when it's cold outside, as cold as it is today, four or five days a week. And it was tough at first, but eventually they got to a point where it brought satisfaction. And the Christian life is exactly the same way. So we want to look at something that I call the prayer acronym. P-R-A-Y-E-R. And we're basically, I'm making the Christian life analogous to working out. Because a lot of people who may not be into church or be into godly things, they can relate to going to the gym. They can relate to dealing with personal trainers, et cetera, et cetera. So I want us to look at this acronym that I've talked about a long time ago. Most of you have not heard it, so I want to present it to you, and I want us to draw some comparisons and contrasts between physical training and spiritual training, between physical health and spiritual health. And by God's grace, by the end, we will see that there is value in the Christian life today. Not now, not 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the future, but today. So the acronym prayer, the first letter is P. And P stands for your personal trainer. Now, when I was working out back in Arizona, the gym that I went to, when you walk in there, and many gyms probably here today have the same thing. You walk in, you see a list of reasons why you need a personal trainer. And there may be several reasons, but usually near the top of the list is that you have been working out by yourself and not seeing any results. You've been doing all these things. Maybe you saw some videos. Maybe somebody gave you a few tips and you've been trying it on your own and you have the same weight. You don't feel any better and you're just ready to throw in the towel. You say it doesn't work. Well, the Christian life's the same thing. Without your personal trainer, who is the most high, who is our heavenly father, everything will be not. So your personal trainer in the gym is somebody who can come up with a tailored plan for your regimen, for what your goals are. Maybe you want to tone. Maybe you want to bodybuild. Maybe you want to lose weight. So this personal trainer sits down with you, asks you some questions, and comes up with a plan that you can follow to reach your goal in a finite amount of time. This personal trainer will make sure that the weights that he or she puts on your bar are not more than you can handle, right? So you're coming out the gate. You're not going to be bench pressing 250 pounds because you've never done that before. And he or she, your personal trainer, knows that. Conversely, as I uh, said before in a previous podcast, a good personal trainer is not going to keep you complacent at a level that you have been lifting comfortably for a long time. You've been lifting 100 pounds and you're satisfied at that weight because you feel comfortable doing it. The pain that you had before is not there. The out of breath, the shortness of breath, none of that is there anymore. But your personal trainer, he or she is trying to push you toward the goal, so they will continue to put more weights once they know that you can handle it. Well, our Heavenly Father is the same way. And, and, and it's even more so with him, because when it comes to a regular personal trainer, at some point you may get to a level where you don't need a personal trainer. In other words, you've been working out with somebody for a year or two years. They've shown you the ropes. You've gotten to a good system, a good schedule. 
And now you can say, okay, well, I got this thing and I can keep this thing going on my own. But when it comes to the Christian life, our connection with the Most High, with our Heavenly Father, has to be constant. And the text I have for that is Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, where we see that God is the one who's actually doing the work. So all of the results of the Christian life that manifest through your actions and through your words come from the Holy Father, Holy Spirit, the, Holy, the, the Father in heaven. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And the previous verse says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we may like that because we like the idea of having a solution that we can attain by our own efforts. But in case there's any confusion, Paul, the writer of Philippians, lets us know that God is the one who's doing the work. He's the one who's giving you the encouragement, like a, a physical training work would, but he is also the one, the one who is creating obedience. In other words, every single brother who has come to this podcast, Brad and Orlando and Nate and Damon and E, they will all tell you that there was a point in their lives that they liked doing the things in the world. It gave them pleasure. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's only through the power of the Most High that they are doing what they're doing now, that we are doing what we're doing now, that we're passionate about this work. You met me 10 years ago, that would not have been the case. So I can tell you that your personal trainer in heaven is the only reason why you would have a desire to obey, to read, to study, to pray. So get with your personal trainer and he will develop a plan for your life that will give you value today. The R in the acronym prayer is repetitions. The first R is repetitions. Now in the gym, your repetitions are things you're doing at a rapid rate, consistently, right? So you have 10 weights on this side and 10 on this side, and you may have a routine where you go through different weights, different machines, and that is your rep. That's your repetition. Uh, and that is what is building your muscles. That is what's pushing you towards your goal. Well, in the Christian life, we have the same thing. And the biggest thing that helps us is the Word of God. The text I have is Psalms 119, verse 11 and 105. Psalms 119, uh, 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And verse 105 of the same chapter says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So this word is what is directing us. So if you're wondering how do I get past addiction, how do I stop sinning, how do I actually come to a point where the Christian life is pleasurable, is giving me joy and peace, it starts with the word. And, and, and Jesus says in John 17, 17, that thy word is true. So the truth that is in the word is what is giving us the power to obey. And that's a repetition. So you need to be reading this Bible every single day. But just like in the gym, you can't go and start lifting 100 pounds on day one. Uh, you can't create a repetition that's full of activities that your body is not conditioned to. So if you want to go and read 20 chapters a night, you're going to crash and burn, just like that person who goes out there and tries to lift far beyond what they're capable of. No, you have to work to that point. Increase your repetitions, and then you will see some value. So I always recommend people, if you've never read the Bible before, it's been boring to you, it's not interesting, start with one chapter a day. You know, some people who can do two, I say read one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. And at first, it's going to be difficult, just like those first few reps in the gym are going to be difficult. But after a while, it becomes natural to you. There is a point where it becomes a pattern. I think researchers say it's about 70 days. If you do something consistently, that it becomes natural to you. So that's one example of repetitions. The other example is the trials that God allows us to go through. So every trial that God puts in your path, and you're wondering, like, why do I have trouble paying my bills? Why am I getting into a fight with my significant other, with my spouse? Why are my kids acting crazy? Why am I having issues with my job? Why have I lost my job? Why did I get into a car accident? And, and it's very easy for us to blame God or to say the Christian life is not worth it because either these things are happening at a greater frequency after I accepted Christ or it happens to everybody. So really, there's nothing. There's no benefit to being a Christian versus being out there in the world because everybody has hardships. The repetitions of hardships are what tone our muscle of faith. Now, I want to look at Romans chapter 5, verse 3 for this one, where there is a progression that each uh, successive trial that comes enables you to deal with the next one even better. 
Romans chapter 5 verse 3 says that not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we see this progression where the more trials we have, we have two choices. The worldly response to a trial is to complain, to say the man is out to give me, to say that, oh, woe is me. That's one example. Or the other side is to realize this is an opportunity for this trial to drive me through my knees, to my knees. I've tried it the world's way. I've tried it doing things my own way. And when we realize the value of the trial, of us being tried and refined in the fire, as it were, so, as, so we can emerge as gold without impurities, we see that those trials build us to the point where the trials you experienced last year pale in comparison to the ones you're dealing with this year. Why? Because God, your personal trainer, is increasing the weight. He knows you can handle it. And he knows that with his help, you will have a testimony. So the next person who comes along who has had that same trial, now you can tell them, yo, bro, this is what I did, man. I had no idea where money was coming from. I had to go through some, some ramen noodles. I had to deal with loans, whatever it have you. But because of my faith and my regiment of prayer and Bible study, I saw a practical example of him working and giving me peace today. So your trials are repetitions, and you will see that God gives you uh, grace in not giving you more than you can handle. Uh, there are a lot of times we'll say, hey, you know, this is more than I can deal with. But if I guarantee you, if you were to look in your past, you will see a trial that God brought you through that was similar to what you're dealing with now. So right now you need $2,000, and you don't know where it's coming from to pay your bills. Well, I guarantee you probably had a time a year ago or, or, or some point in the past where you need 200 bucks. And somehow, some way, God provided. The same God who saw you through that trial will see you through this one. Keep the repetitions going. The next letter in the acronym prayer is A. That's your appetite. There is no way that you are going to have a physical, uh, your body is going to be toned. You're going to lose weight. You're going to build muscle if you're putting things in your body that go against that. You're putting things in your body that jeopardize your health. Right. So, again, that person who goes to the gym and they're working out. But as soon as they come out, they're eating hot dogs and Twinkies. Those two things are mutually inclusive. I mean, they're they're not going to be working together towards that goal that they had in mind of working out. So your appetite, controlling your appetite is extremely important if you're trying to gain any kind of physical advantage, any kind of goal setting in improving your physical well-being. And the same thing goes spiritually, even more so. The text I have for that is Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Galatians 5, 24 says, and this is Paul speaking, it says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? There's an old Indian proverb that talks about, many of you have heard this before, that talks about two dogs that are fighting inside of us. At all times, you have the good dog and you have the bad dog. And the one that wins is the one that you feed. So if you are always feeding the flesh, if you are always feeding the negative side, you know, you're, eat, you're eating things you shouldn't be eating. You're watching things you shouldn't be watching. You're involved in activities you know that does not glorify God. The next time a temptation comes to do those things, it is that much easier to say yes. Because you said yes the past ten times. See what I'm saying? But if you feed the spirit, you feed it with the word of God with prayer to your personal trainer, with the repetitions of doing this daily, now it becomes second nature to get past the appetite, feeding the spirit and not the flesh. You know, uh, several years ago, uh, there was a rock star. He was, a, he was an instrumentalist, and at, every time he was concerts, he would pass around a bowl, and, and, and all of the fans would spit into the bowl and pass it to the next person and go all the way around the, 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 the crowd. And when it got back to the star, he would take the bowl and he would drink it himself, right? Now, now, now that sound you heard, that sound that you made of disgust is exactly the feeling of disgust that we need to have when it comes to sin, right? The thought of that in your mind should be as disgusting as the thought of sin because that is what 
how sin is to God. Sin is disgusting to him. And if we have an appetite for sin, we will never have the spiritual health that we seek to attain. So we will see that over time, feeding the spirit, there are things that we love to do before that we don't anymore. Now, again, going back to my brothers who have come in here, obviously, at some point, drinking and smoking and carousing and pornography and, and, and watching things they shouldn't watch and selling drugs and selling guns, those things created a pseudo pleasure for them. And I can guarantee you that every single one of them will today, even if they still struggle, they can tell you those things no longer have appeal to them. Why? Because they're feeding the spirit and not the flesh. So, again, it's not that we're living under a rock. It's not that we want to be doing these things, but because we're afraid of hell or because we want to go to heaven, that we're abstaining. No, that is not the case. The case is that God is changing our nature, changing our hearts such that that appetite no longer leans towards the things of the world, but the things of God. The next acronym letter is the letter Y, which stands for yoke. Now, in a gym, a yoke is usually something you use by yourself. But when it comes to Christianity, we know that your yoke has to do with you working with somebody else, uh, you being on the same level as somebody else, and that person helping you get your goal as you work together. Or if it's not a good person, that yoke is actually pulling you back, right? So if you're in the gym and maybe you're, you're working out with somebody, they want to bodybuild and you want to lose weight, you have two, two totally different goals completely. Uh, so it's hard for you to encourage each other and lift each other up because you have different directions that you're going in. Or maybe you have the same goal. Maybe you both want to lose weight but you have far more passion than they do. They're not serious. Every time they have to go to the gym, they're making up an excuse as to why they're not going to go. Every time they have a desire to eat something outside of their regiment, they're giving in. Oh, I got a cheat day. Now you got a whole week full of cheat days. You see what I'm saying? So, so you need to be yoked, joined with someone who has the same goal and same passion as you. And the text I have is 2 Corinthians chapter 6 something we quote all the time as Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And so we, 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 in, in the church, we often say, you know, don't be unequally yoked. And so that has to do with marrying somebody who's outside of your faith, uh, spending significant time with someone who doesn't have the same goal as you. And, and, and some people will say, well, how am I going to witness to people if I'm always hanging around people who are in the church. Obviously, I got to be out around my family. I got to be in my streets, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not always going to be around believers. But this is not talking about that. Your yoke has to do with that person who you're going into the gym with to do work. Not the person you see as you're going out out the streets. That person who you have chosen to be an accountability partner, but they can't keep you accountable. or You're not keeping them accountable because you're on the same level, right? So your equally yoke has to be such that you find somebody who wants the same thing you. Someone who, for example, you want to read the word more. You want to increase your repetitions with the word of God. Find someone who's like, yo, man, let's read together every single day. And I'm going to call you up and see what you read. And you tell me what it was. And so that night comes, I really don't want to read the Bible, but I know my accountability partner is going to call me in the morning and ask what I read. Then that's an impetus for me to do what I have to do. Uh, me and Brad, we're prayer partners, right? Right. So we have accountability there where we're praying together twice a week. So so I'm at the level where I know that if I do something, I'm going to have to tell him, yo, man, we are full disclosure, full transparency. And so it's in the back of my mind. He is keeping me accountable, obviously, through the power of the Ruach, that that person is on the same level as me, same level from an understanding of a passion to see God and to be holy to him. So we want to be equally yoked. The E in the acronym prayer is encourage. Now this is a problem that many Christians have and there's a why a lot of people leave the church or don't join the church because they come into the church and there's very little encouragement. Uh, there's judgment. 
there's people looking at you and maybe you have been gone for a long time. Maybe you had a baby out of wedlock. Maybe you knocked somebody up. Maybe they heard you were selling drugs. And so instead of encouraging you and saying, hey, brother, sister, it's so good to see you again. They say, well, how many kids you got now? Uh, what's going on with that court case you got? Or they just give you the side eye and you feel uncomfortable. And you can't wait to get home. And I guarantee you have less impetus to enter that church again because you didn't feel encouragement when you walked through the door. Let's see what the Bible says. See, this is not Christian living. Unfortunately, many of us give Christianity and give God a bad name because we want to be judged jury and executioner. We want to be the ones that will vilify someone for not, quote unquote, following the rules of Christianity. But what does Paul say in Ephesians chapter four? Ephesians chapter four, verse 29 says, no, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? Edification means to build up, not to tear down, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So when I'm in the gym and I see somebody who's struggling to lift a weight, do I, I'm going to go over there and laugh at them. I'll say, yeah, man, you know, I, please, that, that, that weight that you lift, and I can lift that easily. That's not encouraging. That person has no desire to do any better because of the words that I said. No, my job is to edify that person. Yo, man, just give a little bit more. Yo, you're pulling that thing too much. Maybe you should take off five pounds there and then get comfortable doing that. I'm supposed to encourage, and then we both together can enjoy the success. Same thing with the Christian life. Just because if I'm keeping you accountable... When it comes to stop smoking, for example, well, if every time you fall or I fall, I slip up and I smoke a cigarette or smoke some weed or whatever to have you. If I know that you're going to be judging me, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to be transparent. How can you keep me accountable if I'm being transparent? But if I know I can go like, yo, man, full disclosure, uh, you know, I had to sneak a little something last night, man. I didn't want to. And so now encouraging means I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to pray that God removes that desire for sin and replace it with a disgust for sin and desire to be close to him. So you're looking for people to encourage, and by doing so, you would encourage them in return. And the last R in prayer is rest. Now, when I had a physical trainer, personal trainer, the relationship that we built together was built largely during the time of rest. In other words, between your repetitions, you have to spend some time resting. You're not a machine, right? So you've done your work, and now you have to give your muscles time to recharge. And it was during those moments that me and my personal trainer, we talk about the football game. We talk about movies. We talk about relationships. And so I would consider my personal trainer as a friend because of that time. Now, obviously, he's the one who set a plan for me. He's the one who's encouraged me. Oh, you can do it. You can do it. And I appreciate him for that. But during the rest is when we really built that relationship. So when I really wanted to be, even if I did not want to actually go and work out, I would think about him as a person and wanting to strengthen that relationship. And that was forged during the time of rest. And God has promised us a wonderful blessing if we acknowledge his rest. Let's look at Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four, starting in verse four. The writer says, for he, God, has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. And this is a pretty meaty passage. I want to jump down to verse 10. Hebrews 4.10. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now, to get the context of this, Paul is quoting a passage in Psalms where David is saying, yo, you guys have hardened your hearts. God says, I'm not going to let you enter into my rest. Now, these were people who were going to church every Saturday. They were keeping the Sabbath, quote unquote, they did not enter into rest. Well, what does enter into rest really mean? And that's a whole sermon of itself. But as in, a, in a nutshell, the rest that God has promised on the seventh day, his holy Sabbath, it's not just a day to go to church. It's not a day to sleep away. It's not a day to just talk to people who are members of the church. But we talk about all kinds of things. It's a time to spend time specifically with God and find a blessing there. Just like I'm spending time with that personal trainer, 
I'm spending time with him as his holy day. And, and, and it's, it's kind of like the faith that you have to invest in taking aside one day out of seven really gives a living testimony to every person who's around you. So me, for example, when I travel for my business, everyone knows I don't work on Saturday. So I'll train, I'm training on my saw from usually there two weeks, maybe three weeks. And everyone on the compound is working, in most cases, they're working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm usually the only person in the entire compound who is off on Saturday from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. And even going back to before when I had a job, we'd have deadlines and all of my contemporaries are working on Saturday because we got to get this thing done. And so they would say, yo, man, uh, you're going to be behind. You see what I'm saying? Like, how can you keep up when everybody else is working seven days? You're only working six days. And God did such a beautiful thing in me and such that my work was as good, if not better, as those who had an extra day or quote unquote extra day, because the rest was a built in way for me to disconnect from the world and to connect with my father in heaven. So, again, not spending time doing my own thing, but actually entering into God's rest, listening to him, reading about him, and finding out that there was a blessing therein. So that's the acronym prayer. P, personal trainer. R, repetitions. A, appetite. Y, yoke. E, encourage. R, rest. Those are the things that show us that this Christian life is practical for today. And that's where prayer comes into the equation because Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5:17 to pray without ceasing. Now again, that person who is living day to day, that person who may be a lukewarm Christian, they're showing up every Saturday or every Sunday at church, but the rest of the week they're doing their own thing, that's an alien concept. How, how am I praying without ceasing? I have to live life. I have to work. I have to provide for my family. I have to interact with people. I've got to eat. I've got to sleep. How do I pray without ceasing? It's repetition. It's something that God wants to build your spiritual muscle to where you realize the investment of time you spend praying to God is worth every minute. You see what I'm saying? So, for example, if someone gave you a hot tip on a stock, right? And so you invest $1 in this stock and you get $5 back. What are you going to do? Are you going to do it once? You gonna do it three times a day? No, <laughs> you're gonna empty your bank account, or, or 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 maybe after a while, after it's proven to be consistent. Let's say you've been you've doing you've been doing it for two, three, four, five weeks, two, three, four, five months, and you see this trend is consistent. You are going to invest as much as possible. If I can give you a dollar and you can give me back five dollars or ten dollars or even two dollars, I'm going to do that over and over and over again because the ROI is there. It's consistent. There's no value of me keeping that money in the bank when I can get more money investing it. And that same thing goes with the time we spend with God in prayer. A lot of people say, man, how are you going to get up early in the morning and pray? I want my sleep. How are you going to be praying three times a day like Daniel did? I got things to do. I got to hit these streets. I got the boss who's got me on the clock. I got to answer to my spouse who wants me to do this and do that. I got children. We got, I got to take them to this practice. I got to pick them up from school. I have to spend time working with their homework. How do we get to the point where we're praying without ceasing? Even if I see a value in prayer and I invest some time in prayer and I see that there is uh, an ROI, a return on investment that makes it worth it, how am I going to pray without ceasing? Well, one suggestion that I've given people before is if you talk to yourself, just reroute that conversation to God. You know, we talk to ourselves all day, maybe not out loud, but in our minds. So I might be driving to school, to, to my son's school, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder which way should I take? Should I take 495? Should I take 295? Should I go the back routes? I wonder if there's any traffic. I'm talking to myself, right? Um, maybe I'm looking for something I lost. I can't find my keys. I'm just like, where, where do I put my keys? I'm retracing my steps. Did I go here? Did I go there? Reroute that to God. So now it's like, Lord, which way should I take to go to, to, to school? Which way should I take to go to work? Lord, where do I put my keys at? Lord, why is this person acting this way? And so you're sticking that in there, and now you find that this is a relationship that you're cultivating now, every second of every day. And obviously it's not going to be continuous, but the more you do it, you strengthen those muscles of faith 
you will see, wow, I really am praying more and more throughout the day just by rerouting your inner thoughts to God. And something that, that we always battle with is the practicality of faith. So I've determined, okay, yeah, if there's no heaven and there's no hell, I would still be a Christian because God made me, he loved me, and he's given me value in this life. But what's the practicality of spending time with God? In other words, why can't I just show up, as I said before, show up once a week for church? Or maybe I go to prayer meeting, right? Maybe I'll read a text here and there. But the majority of my life, I'm doing practical things in the world. So why should I spend any more time? And a lot of times we'll look at the Old Testament and see, or even the New Testament, particularly the Old Testament, you see all these great miracles that God did. God is speaking directly to people, right? He's speaking through a donkey. He's showing up in an angel. You see what I'm saying? People are hearing God's voice directly, clearly. And so the thought process is, well, if God spoke to me, I would have some faith too, right? If God knocked me off my high horse like he did when Saul was riding to Damascus and he had his conversion to Paul, where he was going to wipe out the Christians and he became a Christian himself, if I saw that light and I heard his voice then yeah, I would, I would be real too. But I don't, never, I, don't, I don't hear God speaking to me. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Read the Bible every now and then. Read my favorite text. Read Psalms 23. You know, read a little Joe Osteen quote. And then just keep it moving. Watch whatever I want to watch. Eat what I want to eat. Go to church every now and then. And God will let me in at the end. So how do I have a practicality in my faith? The biggest problem that I see in my life, and I can't speak for anybody else, the reason why we can't hear God's voice is because the world's drowning him out. We have too many distractions. And, and, and that's why I have been convicted about things in my life where I've given them up, not because, again, I'm looking for a reward or I'm afraid of a punishment, but because it was keeping me from that practical faith. It was keeping me from spending time with God. You see what I'm saying? And so where those things used to give me pleasure, I realized were a distraction. And then when I gave them up, I let God take them away from me. Then I started to hear his voice. People talk about fasting and praying and like, man, I, I can't give up food for 24 hours. That's just not natural. But every single person that you can talk to that has actually given up something, whether it was food, you don't, have to, you don't just have to fast food. You can fast from social media. You can fast from fatty foods. You can fast from, you know, television, whatever it, it is. They have said after the second or third day, they really heard God's voice clearly. Why? Because the distractions were taken away. Because God doesn't speak loudly. There's that story in 1 Kings 19, I believe it is, when Elijah is on the run from, from Jezebel. He's, being, he's a prophet and he's being pursued by the wicked queen Jezebel. And he's hiding basically from God. And then, you know, there's this fire that comes. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the fire. And this is mighty wind. And the Lord was not in the wind. There was an earthquake and God was not in the wind. And then Elijah hears a still, small voice. That's how God speaks to us. That still, small voice saying this is the way walking in it. If you've got, you know, what I'm saying Game of Thrones or you've got, you know, the, 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 the game or whatever would have you. And not those are bad things, but all of these are vying for your attention. And the more distractions and the more voices, the more noise you have in your life, the less likely you're going to be able to hear that still small voice. So you start stripping them away. Now you can hear it and you start answering that voice and you start doing what the voice tells you to do. And you see that this is real. Right. So I would encourage every single person who is watching this. Don't expect to run a mile overnight. Don't expect to eat an elephant with one bite. Start with small reps. Start with a simple prayer. Simplest prayer in the Bible is, Lord, save me. <laughs> I believe it was Peter. Peter was walking in water. Uh, this was a miracle, right? And he falls, and Jesus is, 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 is right there to rescue him as he's sinking. And all Peter could say was, Lord, save me, right? So you start with a simple prayer, Lord, save me. Uh, you don't have to have with these these and thous, right? A lot of times we go to church and we hear these pastors and these elders and deacons preach with such eloquence. Oh, Lord, uh, uh, God, Yahweh, uh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi. And, and these prayers sound exceptional. And so I hear those I'm like, man, I can't pray like that. So I'm just going to give it up. 
I can't speak the way they did back then in King James Version with these and thou, so I'm just going, no. Speak to him like you would speak to your boy. Speak to your father. Speak to someone who you know has your back. And that's why I encourage you to talk to yourself and include God in that conversation. And you will find you don't have to say amen at the end of your prayer. In other words, you're praying throughout the day and you're being real with him. I have friends who question God. In other words, God did something in their lives. They believe that God exists, right? God did something. He took away their mother. Mother died suddenly. Took away their child. Took away their job. And they're angry at God. They're furious at God, right? And, and, and the, the, the common notion is that, well, that's not a good thing. You know, we should never be angry at God. We should never question God. We should just accept him because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Can a man by searching find out God in his ways, et cetera, et cetera. But I would tell you that even in questioning God, you would find your relationship get to the next level. Because, see, what God does not want is your indifference. He does not want you to be lukewarm thinking that you are okay reciting perfunctory prayers, traditional prayers, recited prayers, rehearsed prayers. God is more likely to reach you when you're at your lowest, where you are you're mad at God, where you've heard these promises all your life. Maybe your parents or your grandparents or your pastor said, hey, man, God says God's got a you know, a thousand cattle, cattle on a thousand hills. He said, I provide all your needs according to my, his riches and glory. He, he said, I would never see, you would never see the righteous forsaken, never see them begging for bread. And you're like, man, I don't see any of that playing out in my life. And you are angry at God. I would challenge you. That's not a bad thing. As long as you're communicating with God on a real level, and not a surface level, on a real level, not a lukewarm, not a traditional, not a trying to gain something or trying to operate at a fear level, God can reach you. It may take some time. In many cases, in most cases, it is through those trials, those repetitions, he's trying to get your attention, right? It's not us who is seeking God. Now, we do read the Bible says, you will seek me and you will find me. I believe it's Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. But in reality, as we saw with the P, the personal trainer, it is God who is giving us the power to do anything. He is the one who is seeking us and he is the one giving us the desire to even seek him. So if you are mad at God, if you are frustrated with God, don't pick up the bottle. Get on your knees. Some of the realest prayers that are ever prayed are not when times are going well. I guarantee you most of the realest prayers that are prayed are when all of those things in your life that you thought were good substitutes for God showed turned out to be a failure, turned out to be insignificant, insufficient. Alcohol never gave you any satisfaction, right? You get a little buzz, you get drunk, you don't think about your problems, but guess what? In the morning, your problems are still there and it's accompanied by a hangover, it's accompanied by a headache, light sensitivity, you're throwing up, et cetera, et cetera. So no satisfaction. Maybe it's picking up the blunt. You smoke, feel good for a little bit. But that high comes down and now reality sets in. Sleeping around, more, more problems. Maybe even having more money, more problems. And you realize all of these distractions have been drowning out God's voice and have been inferior substitutes for the real thing. Pray one of the realest prayers you ever prayed. Lord, I don't know if you hear me. Um, I've been hearing about you all my life. But I can't seem to get through. Each day, I can't seem to get through the problems that are on my table right now. I'm looking around. I don't see that you care about me. You don't care about black people. You don't care about Hispanic people. You don't care about humanity in general. You see what I'm saying? I can't pay my bills. I got my baby mama calling me on a regular basis with drama that I can't deal with. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time for any of this. You get down on your knees and you, you pour out your heart to God. You cry to him. And you will feel a peace. And it's not going to come overnight. Understand that he's trying to get your attention. He wants to be your personal trainer. He's trying to increase your repetitions. He's trying to replace your appetite for sin for an appetite for him.
He wants you to be yoked with other people. He wants you to remove those influences of people who have been bringing you down and replace them with people who will encourage you. And he wants to enter into that rest with you. I used to smoke weed. The only way that I stopped or my path to stopping was not being around people who smoked. It seems like <laughs> seems like common sense one on one. Right. There's no way you're going to stop a bad habit if you're surrounded by people who will encourage that habit, who will feed that habit. You see what I'm saying? So there has to be a point where you get to where you realize God has been putting these obstacles and one by one distractions are being removed away. One by one problems are putting you to a point. There's another passage in the Bible. I believe it's Daniel chapter or maybe Daniel chapter four. Um, where King Nebuchadnezzar was a great king of Babylon. Uh, this brother had everything right. He'd conquered God's people because they had fallen to idolatry. And he's walking at the top of one of his palaces. And he's like, is this not great Babylon who I have built, which I have built with my own hands? He's taken all of the credit. He knows he's seen some miracles. He knows the God of heaven is the only true God, but he takes credit for himself. And in that moment, he becomes a beast. He's driven from his palace, driven from his throne. He's out in the streets, out on the uh, in the grass, eating grass like a wild animal. You see what I'm saying? For seven years. That is a point that God had to bring him to to where seven years later. He, he, he turns back to normal. The scales go away. The wetness goes away. He's back in his right mind. And he has to acknowledge that the God of heaven is the only true God. Sometimes that's what God has to do to bring us to our knees, to bring us to a point where we acknowledge him. Now, he was trying to reach you back then. You see what I'm saying? So don't act like that is the only way that God can reach you by you getting to a fatal or near fatal accident. And now you're a paraplegic drinking out of a straw. That wasn't God's will. That wasn't God's design. He was trying to get to you then, but you weren't listening. And because he is constantly pursuing us, he will do whatever it takes to save every single one of us. So I would I would I would challenge any one of you who has been dealing with this doubt. Why should I invest time in Christianity? The atheists, I have a lot of atheists, as I mentioned before, who speak to me on a regular basis. They say, well, what about these other gods that are out there? And their cynicism has been multiplied because of their desire to be accountable to self only. God's going to bring you to a point where you realize being accountable to self is not good enough. It doesn't bring any true happiness. How many people do we see who have have millions of dollars, access to women and drugs and whatever they want, and they commit suicide? They suffer from depression. It tells you that none of those things, none of that self-accountability, none of that pleasing yourself to thine own self, be true foolishness, none of that actually brings true joy, true peace. And you contrast that with those who have nothing. And I've had the blessing of being able to go overseas and go to third world countries, countries where I thought God was not blessing people in Africa. I've been to all corners of Africa. And these people are living in 10 by 10 huts, dirt floors, no running water, no electricity. And worse yet, many of these people, they see how the rest of the world lives. So the atheist says, well, they don't know any better. Where I was staying, I'm on site again, training for my business. We're living like kings, like we got compounds, we got electricity. And these people are coming and they're cleaning and they're servicing and they see how the rest of the world lives. But they have a contentment that we don't have. I remember being in Liberia and one of his brothers was like, I would never trade places with you in an instant. I'm like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like talking to me in my first world country, I got my clothes, I got, you see what I'm saying? And they realize that the things that we have here in America, here in this first world are distractions. I went to church. I've been to church pretty much everywhere I've gone. Church like you've never imagined. Because these people are not going to church just to see and be seen. They're not going because it's a tradition, because it's a perfunctory thing. They're going because they realize they might not make it another week without God. They might make it another day without God. Every single time they wake up, there's no guarantee they're going to eat that day. There's no guarantee their kids are going to eat that day. And again, I'm thinking, how is it that God is blessing these people? They're spending time with him, so obviously they're getting something out of it. But how is God blessing them when they are rife with disease, they got flies all over their body. You see what I'm saying? They may go 
weeks without getting a real meal. And I'm like, how is God blessing them? But I talked to them. They're like, yo, man, God is so good. I'm like looking where they're living. Like, what? God is so good. In other words, this Christian life is giving them hope today, not in the future. It's giving them hope now that gets them through each day. So when they get a meal, we may eat and not even think to pray about it. It's expected we're going to have three meals a day. Our kids are going to have three meals a day. As tough as we have to hustle to get that money, we're going to eat. These brothers and sisters know that they have so much more to give thanks to that we don't realize because we're saturated with our first world. And you know what? With first world problems comes first world complaints. And we're complaining and we live life in a state of non-gratitude. Being upset because we don't have any Wi-Fi at the coffee shop, being upset because our phone died, being upset because, you know, we don't have, we, we want to sit, sit back on our cable TV and watch this movie on demand and it's buffering. Like they are far beyond all of that. So I would challenge you, get past your first world problems. Realize that as difficult as your life is, there are people with way worse with way more. There are people who are willing to die to self and to trade in their appetite for the world, for appetite for God, because they realize the return on investment is a next level thing. I know we're running out of time. I want to leave you guys with a prayer. I want to pray for somebody right now. I don't know who it is. Somebody tuned in. Maybe somebody uh, came across this, stumbled across this, wondering if this thing is real. And I'm going to tell you, like anybody else, there's, I could be doing a million other things. Same as the other brothers who come through here. There's a football, there's a playoff game going on right now. And, and, and I'm the kind of brother, I mean, I used to love me some NFL. Maybe just even a year ago, there's no way I would be here right now. I'd be glued to that TV watching it. I could be out in the streets. I could be smoking. I could be drinking. This is real. This has changed my life. And if there were no heaven or hell, I will go to my grave in peace. Because it, this has got me to a point where I can rely on God every single day through my daily problems. And there is a peace that passes all understanding. So I want to pray for somebody right now who's looking for that peace. Father God, thank you for the time that we've spent today. And I thank you for that person who's tuned in. Who I don't know why you brought them to this program, but they are struggling with something. They're struggling with unbelief. They're struggling with paying the bills. They're struggling with getting along with their neighbor. They're struggling with their children. They're struggling in their marriage, Father God. And I'm asking that you would increase the faith. You've told us you've given every person a measure of faith. So I'm asking that you would inspire that person to invest a little bit of faith. And I'm, I want you to come through for that person in some small way that they know that it was only you that came through and inspire them to invest a little bit more. If they're struggling to break an addiction, give them the power to see that this thing, this word of God that you've given us is more powerful than anything, any, any chain that can have them uh, 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 rife with bondage. I pray for that person who wants to see your face, wants to hear your voice. Strip away those distractions. Do whatever it takes to save souls because we know that that is your only goal, to save every single person that all of us would come to a knowledge of the truth. Let not any one of us struggle in vain. The struggles you're putting in our path. Let us learn the lesson. Let us see the value of a relationship with you that we may come to know you whom to know is life eternal. Solve problems in a way that only you can get the name, the praise and honor and glory for it. So I thank you for forgiving us of our sins, for relieving us of the burden of trying to work our way into heaven or, or, or being fearful of hell and knowing that you love us with an everlasting love that surpasses anything we could ever understand. Redeem us, save us when you come. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. This has been Real Talk 101. Uh, next week, hopefully we will have Brad and Orlando back so you won't have this third stringer here. And I pray that you were blessed. Um, I invite you to open this word, let it change your life and call in sometime 240-719-2560. Write it down for next time so you can call and be a part of the conversation. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week. Every time they see us come, watch them demons shake. Hey man, here you come with all that stuff, man. Come on, let's go. Life and death is in your tongue, so watch what you say. Hey, real talk, what you say yeah. around here too, man. Real His talk. name's Howay. If you don't know about Father Rahai, his name's Howay. And you don't know about his son, you shot.
Cause now you told way Receive the gift of a walk of God Cause now you told way Forever screaming Crom Yashara Cause now you told way You ain't got to tell me names whole way I'm calling a higher Calling them out Kicking them tables over Just like you shy Digital download Of the hard copy Man, I'm two by twos Some of these Hebrews Be acting feminine We call them two wonk fools I'm laughing at them Same time one put it past them I ain't trying to be the boy's favorite rapper They only rap Cause they Twitter popular That's the difference between me and them I'm the son of Jacob They the son of sin The rock Open farmer Come on in We don't go ham But we go shim I'm good